Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. Welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. In today's episode, we've got a fantastic conversation with Dr. Doran Cox, who is the um, founder of a, an amazing group called Open Team and uh, is a farmer and a founder of the Farm OS Project and Farm Hack and a proponent of open source technology, uh, but really you know, uh, a technologist with a, a deeply human heart and, uh, and a very holistic um, perspective and connection with the earth and, you know, just like a, an understanding of where and how technology can serve, uh, can sort of serve our humanity and serve this invitation for humans to become a beneficial species on the earth, which has been a theme over the last couple of calls. Um, I'm enormously grateful for this conversation, but also just for his work in the world. It's, it's a really a foundational piece of what we're building at Regen Network. And, um, and I just think, you know, that sort of the future of how we, uh, make the invisible, intangible, although completely tangible at the same time, wealth and value that really underpins a meaningful life and a healthy planet, uh, how we make that all visible is a big part of the conversation, sort of the theme of the conversation that I had with Dorn today. Um, I... Listeners may be hearing my voice might be a little bit more tinny than usual. I apologize. I uh, totally forgot to pull out my mic, so wasn't wasn't mic'd up for this podcast. So just using the old Apple, you know, uh, microphones to (laughs) record this whole podcast. Tell me how that went. uh, If it went okay, I, I am in a process of, of researching and sort of upgrading some of my equipment and approach here. But uh, again, just trying to stay focused on high quality conversations at the intersection of ecology and economics and holistic design and planetary regeneration and, and hope that these conversations are as valuable to you as they are to me. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy uh, this episode and please uh, comment um, and share widely if you find it meaningful. Um, until next time, enjoy. All right, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Today, our guest is Dorn Cox, who I'm really excited to chat with. He and I have been going back and forth for a little while to sync up and make some time for this call. Um, Regular listeners probably have heard me mention um, Dorn and the amazing work that he's doing at Open Team that we're proud to be a part of at Regen Network. So I'm excited to dive in. I think there's a bunch of really pertinent topics. And I just have to say, you know, Dorn, you're one of the people who, like, the first time we met, it was sort of like a mind meld in which, <laughs> you know, it's sort of rare that the, that, 
you know, you find somebody who's just like taps That's in what I'm thinking about vision. too. That's yeah. what I <laughs> Yeah, so, exactly. So I'm excited to chat. Um, do you want to just do you mind starting with just like you know, I I like to oftentimes start the call these calls off with just like a description of maybe the world that you're working to create and you know what's inspiring <laughs> you to do all the work and just you know like what, well, what are you a working question. towards yeah yeah well i mean i think there are a lot of different components to to that uh but i i, I think I, I i've been really trying to work towards creating a world where the a lot of the invisible value that's created that I think uh, people uh, believe is there and internally understand is valuable, but have a really hard time expressing. And I, so I, I think what we're trying to create is a world where that invisible, well, all that that's invisible uh, and has been undervalued becomes valuable. Mm. And a lot of those things are those things that we have, you know, we, we, we've been calling them intangibles. I don't think that they're necessarily intangible. I think we, and not that you have to quantify and put this hard value, but they are quantifiable and they are identifiable. And I think that's really important. I think that's part of what the regenerative agriculture sort of is embodying. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think this world that we're creating is, is in some ways looking back to an agrarian culture, but not in the way in that it's this rural idyllic enterprise, but more that agrarianism or agriculture represents something that actually brings us together and bridges urban and rural divides and connects us in terms of the, you know, the connection that we have from, uh, you know, uh, from the microbiome to the biosphere and agriculture and, and managing, uh, you know, essentially managing our, our environment. It's how we express ourselves in the environment. Uh, agriculture is how we sort of show our understanding of the system and the tools we use are an expression of our understanding of how that system works. So when, when I think about sort of the world that we're trying to create, it's, it's sort of co-creating and engaging and embedding not just those ideals, but having the tools. Again, as somebody said, like the tools we use are sort of I, what was it? Uh, oh, I'm going to forget the quote here. I should have prepared. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but essentially that, uh, uh, that objects have politics in them, right? Mm -hmm. And so the tools we use are sort of embedded with our ideals. And so that's what I, I'm seeing as an opportunity here, uh, sort of the, on the upside of the climate uh, challenges we're facing are that it's the largest scale collective impact project that we've ever undertaken. And that's kind of an exciting opportunity in, in, in another way, not to be Pollyannish about it, but it is also something that I, I think is speaking to, even if, as some folks have said, even if there wasn't a climate crisis, these are all things that we'd be working towards to improve the great human experiment, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a long-winded way of saying, what are we trying to get at? And I think the, the really simple thing perhaps to sort of crystallize all that together is that the world that I see is, is that 
we can start to see humans and our interaction together as being collectively a beneficial organism mm. um, where we improve not only our environment for ourselves, but uh, through doing that, we improve how we work with each other and understand each other and the environment. And, and that that can actually not be a difficult process, but it can be really engaging and exciting. And, 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 and I think it is, again, something that's in so, I think it's a unique, uh, uh, it's, it's something that uh, transcends other scientific endeavors. Uh, so we, um, so, and I'll pause there, but there's a lot more that I could go, <laughs> I could go down there in terms of, uh, sort of the shared science and, uh, and sort of, uh, moving beyond sort of so, so much of our cultural values that divide us. And I think this is something where, again, we can find, we, we can, uh, we can connect again across all sorts of geographic, cultural uh, uh, boundaries. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, there's a lot there. And, and one of the things that just emerges and resonates with me is this concept of, you know, what is it going to take to, for, for humans to evolve, to become a beneficial organism. And um you know, and that's sort of a big disruptive idea. I mean, it, it sort of runs counter to, I think, kind of, you know, a common narrative in society around, you know, uh, humans and economics and, you know, all, all of that. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm curious to ground that. It's like, say that's sort of like an overarching, you know, I mean, you, you said a lot, but I, I kind of hold the way I anchor and, and resonate with what you're saying, we could sort of tag it as, you know, the, the, the future you're working to create is one in which humans are a beneficial organism, a member of the greater web of life that benefits that, that life. Yeah. I'm curious, to be concrete, what does that have to do with, you sort of alluded to this, but what does that have to do with technology, our approach to technology? And specifically, what has you so excited to be dedicating your all your life energy and time to open team? <laughs> yeah, because it's so much of this is it, you know, and this is the tension I think because we're dealing with natural systems is that intrinsically none of this you know if you talk to agroecologists you don't need technology to implement these it's actually engaging in the natural system but it requires a certain level of knowledge and and sharing information and inspiration about how to engage with these natural systems well and to understand some of the mechanisms and so it's not enough for an indigenous culture to to uh, fully you know understand a piece of it because if they can't share that knowledge the vast majority of the rest of humanity that we currently that currently exists will not benefit from from that and so i think that's where technology is this great interpretation it's really it there's and i i look at technology in several in in a flow essentially a feedback loop um 
in terms of you know providing that flow of information and, and inspiration back to the land and and to democratize access to that because really in order to unlike say as i was mentioning other like large scale public you know uh you know uh uh research like deep space exploration where we have this this is this great humanity you know this exploration of what it means you know where we are in the universe right mm -hmm. That's great, and we can share that. For agricultural knowledge to be useful, we actually have to apply it, and which means that every person who interacts with nature actually should have access to our best understanding of how we work within nature. Mm -hmm. So technology is essentially our expression of how do we use the tools that we have to make that possible. And so there are different pieces of that. Part of it is the observation and tools that enhance our understanding beyond what we can see with our eyes in the visual spectrum from whatever height we're at looking in one direction. You know, that's, mm -hmm. those are our observational tools. We can sense, we have certain senses, but we also have observation tools that can go beyond those senses mm -hmm. and that can elevate our perspective from above or can, you know, microscopes, telescopes, you know, infrared, <laughs> ultraviolet, you know, you name it, all these radio spectrums, all those things can be used to inform and look beyond our own context. And I think elevating our perspective or, uh, you know, putting ourselves in context is something that technology can really do uh, and remove our, our, you know, we have this concept in science of observational bias, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where technology can help sort of be this third party arbiter of what we see and how we experience what we see. Um, so, and so, and so that's the observational piece, but it's also, there's also a technology that's, because that's overwhelming. Our brains can't do that. So we also need to, uh, we need to synthesize that. We have to analyze that. And then we have to be able to, if it's, uh, analyzed, we then have to be able to communicate it and put it in context with one another. So there's another layer of technology and communications. And then finally, it does no good if we have all this knowledge and we can't actually translate that into some kind of action. And so this observational, this loop between observation, anal analysis, communication, and then action. And action tools are the things that we use like a no-till drill or a, or a sheep or, you know, <laughs> and, or a fence. Uh, you know, all of those things are, are tools that we use to actually then interact with the environment. And so, and they're directly influenced by our understanding of how that system works. So that all of those things together, I think, compose the technology ecosystem that is, is what I, I think is necessary to accelerate our understanding of our environment, communicate with one another, and to, uh, and to shift into this knowledge-intensive biological agriculture that's necessary to improve the environment that we, that we all share. Right, so it sounds to me like a big part of this is sort of sense-making, like growing the sense-making capability of, yeah. of land stewards, but maybe also of, you know, well, of land stewards, more but generally. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it is. It's it's about at the at the land stewardship level. It's being able to, you know, 
access global knowledge for your own production to, you know, to be able to make better decisions, uh, to access markets, all the rest of that thing through communications and so forth. But it's also about giving all of the rest of humanity that isn't stewarding land access to that system and understanding what's important about that and, and engaging in it. And then this is one of the key things that is that agriculture that I think that we're coming collectively to understand is that agriculture isn't this like an, it's not a, uh, a rural isolated independent enterprise. It's actually something that we do together uh, and a shared human endeavor. Uh, And that just like, you know, Wendell Berry, the, you know, uh, you know, uh, eating is a political act or, uh, you know, that, that, but it's more than that. (laughs) It's far more than that in my, in in my mind. It's, it's that it, and especially if we're trying to, we're, we're trying to be beneficial organisms. Agriculture is the foundation essentially of, of civilization. And that's again, cliche. Um, And it's, also even and it's also accurate <laughs> and yeah. accurate and 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 we've we've lost that we've sort of it, during the industrialization process we've sort of said oh it's just like any other type of production but if you you don't have to go back very far to see you know the foundation of if you look at the corner of the USDA uh, building in Washington they have you know, there's a cornerstone on the building that's that that's the old motto that came that they knocked that they stopped using their letterhead in the mid 80s that you know agriculture is the foundation of industry and commerce and and that's referencing essentially the physiocrats you know uh, the who are sort of the first economists and scientists natural philosophers uh, that, uh, I don't want to get into it too much but they had the vision of, you know, that I, I go back to is that agriculture or, you know, their vision of agriculture uh, was, uh, if you look at civilization as a tree, agriculture is at the roots and the uh, population is the trunk and the arts and commerce are the leaves and branches. And that, and, uh, 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 and the, uh, the you know leaves and branches can be blown off in a storm, uh, and they'll regrow. Uh, but if the roots are are damaged, the whole system withers and, and dies. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, um, but uh, uh, that's that's a, that's the the you know there were numerous uh, presidents and leaders in the early stages of the U S during the foundation of the United States that were part of that physiocratic movements or this governance of nature, which is very much in line with what we're talking about in terms of people being a beneficial organism within this system. And also looking at science as again, this participatory effort that this is something that we all, that we all do as natural philosophers, not something that's a, a, you know, science isn't scientist is sort of a professional uh, title for somebody who does this for a living, as opposed to a way in which we interpret the environment that everybody is part of. Mm-hmm. So that's a long way of saying, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, some of the, the thinking and motivation behind open team uh, is really laying the foundation for that, 
that kind of that kind of work uh, and translating that into uh, with with the the best available tools, technologies, and communities uh, that are, are are currently out there who are trying to move towards making real change that is necessary and urgent uh, to address not just climate change, but you know the not just mitigate climate change, but adapt to it, as well as the other uh, benefits that are that the co-benefits that go along with. Um, uh, with regenerative agriculture in terms of uh, beauty, biodiversity, community development, you know, uh, wildfire mitigation, water quality, quantity, like all those co-benefits. Um, so. So <clears throat> there's a couple of different conversational topics that I'm really excited to get into. Um, one is sort of like giving listeners a sense of, I don't know, just sort of like the, like concrete um, application of this sort of like nexus of citizen science and sort of semantic web technology and, you know, um, cooperative, colla collaborative, collective learning and um, sense making that we're sort of talking about, you know, sort of like grounding that maybe like in your own farm or in yeah. different instances, sort of like the vision of the, the, the farm hub network and what's happening and how that's taking place, which I think would be super cool for people. So that's one item. I'm really interested to talk about sort of the market, uh, you know, the interface with markets and this sort yeah, of like how, emerging yeah. opportunity to, you know, link quantification of, you know, common goods or public goods with, you know, market forces. Market so forces are, and innovation. Yeah, exactly. So those are two of the sort of themes that I'm really interested in, in getting to do a good, thorough, deep dive with you. Um, curious where your instinct is to start, like do start with the market <laughs> interface or do we start with, sort of a more concrete exploration of what, you know, what does, what does a farmer's life look like when they're using farm OS and, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, I mean, happy to dive into sort of how, where the current state of the technology is a little bit, but I, I would love, I would preface that by saying that, I mean, I think the point of the technology is to make it basically go become invisible, not be dominate your life, but in fact have nature dominate your life. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. So that's that's sort of the trajectory that we're working towards is both reducing cost and also creating interfaces that enhance your experience rather than diminish it. And I think that's really important. It's a big part of Open Team is the human-centered design, but that may not go far enough because it's beyond human-centered design. It's really, um, and so that's why we're we're you know I'm I'm particularly. A, interested in natural language based interfaces uh, or audible and, and even some interfaces where it's, you know, there's some really cool projects that I worked with on public lab that uh, where they were doing essentially audible uh, sort of basically they called it, there's this tool that was called cricket that would, that would chirp essentially the moisture level. So you get sort of this experiential sort of environmental feedback. And yet, this is what essentially the trained, you know, the, the, the trained naturalist 
has all those cues already. So again, this is to come around that we're using technologies as a short-term prop to educate us communally where some of these indicators, these natural indicators, which are far better in some cases than our digital indicators, uh, become unnecessary. Because if, we're, we're, if, if we have this knowledge internalized, then we don't need all that. Uh, we can internalize the values. We can understand that. But if where we are now, this is where we're really seeing the, the data visualization and the, the tools to understand and quantify soil carbon and, uh, you know, micro, the microbiome diversity and functionality and all of that kind of really high-tech, sophisticated analysis. The point of that is again not to have to do that all the time, but to to become to get an appreciation and how is that expressed in a healthy plant, which results in healthy food, and so that's that's sort of where we want to go, um, and so you know, and from that we can back up into where things are today and how do we how do we do that? So we have screens and we have <laughs> yeah. That we have to use as, but I, I really want, I don't want to get stuck on that. And I, I think one of the tensions that we have as we're developing these tools and technologies for use in the field for farmers to use again is not to be shifting towards your heads is down and interpreting the environment from the screen, but to how do we shift this so that we're using those devices to understand our environment better. Uh, you know, we're shifting it sort of, it's essentially an observational tool to interpret uh, the environment and not be this addictive, sticky thing that invites more and more participation with it, uh, but to use it to enhance communication and experience. So it, it's a different than, say, a venture-based app that's meant to be, you know, uh, that's grabs you and, and is, is well, this is, this is, there we go. We start moving into the market conversation. So I want to like tag, cause I think it, I think it's, that's exactly the right entree. I, I, before we go in, I want to just sort of summarize in my own words, what I, I think you're saying here, which is that the, the, uh, the technological approach here is that, that, Techno earth observation technology, sensors, you know, you know, internet connectivity make it possible. The, the thesis here is that it, that makes it possible to kind of maybe retrain the vestigial organ of nature connection that humans seem to have, that seems to have atrophied in humanity over the past few hundred years like that there's you know maybe indigenous cultures have this capability to culturally harmonize with a place and that as we've um become more you know in quotes rational and not to like get overly i i guess like uh developmental about it but you know maybe there's a story that that has some utility or some sense that as cultures have have sort of separated from their landscapes and become more scientific and more right. knowledge-based instead of sort of implicit tacit culturally oriented we've we've separated ourselves from the living world and now in order to regrow that capacity this is actually sort of like 
it's like a return to nature through technology augmenting our sensor our sensory capability as humans. Yeah, which change our values, which change the market. It's like like I can actually transcend my singular egoic perspective by by seeing a satellite image. Well, I mean, this is this sort of the, you know, the, the, I mean, this is what they talk about, the sort of the pale blue dot or the, you know, the Apollo image of, earth it sort of gives you that perspective but it doesn't even have to be that far away i mean this is what the democratization of aerial imagery through drones gives you that third person perspective or it's, all of the amazing free isa yeah two data which is like a, that is maybe one of the most valuable free sources of data that's ever been you know opened <laughs> right Right. Yeah, no, no, exactly. So, I mean, I think this is, this is an example of where these, an example of sort of these public science uh, and the power of that imagery, this process of, or, you know, something that we've done together is to create those images. Uh, and the outcry when, when those were suddenly, you know, taken away. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's a, and the democratization of access, because it wasn't that long ago that that kind of imagery was only accessible to large corporations and governments. And yeah. so I think that's one of the really sort of the things that's, that, that, that has happened with the, with the sort of this Moore's law of technology with not just processing power and storage, but also low, lower cost imagery and batteries and now automation equipment as well as we have this potential to uh, to share these other perspectives at at, at very very low cost, um, but I mean uh, I mean I, I think there was another question that we were we that we're diving into yeah. there that I wanted to come back come back to that. Let's come back to where we were starting to enter into the like circle. We're starting to circle back to the value question of like how are we making visible what was previously invisible or or how, what do business models, I mean, another way to ask this question is, what does a non-extractive or degenerative... Well, I mean, th- 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 see, that was the key, is that, like? that, you know, we're, yeah, exactly, because essentially, uh, I believe that so much of our, our, uh, the, the, our, the structure of inquiry and science essentially atrophied because of the industrial extraction, extraction model, and that most of our, our, institutions of higher learning were really about how do we learn enough to about these systems in order to get more production out of it but it didn't wasn't really at a systems level and part of that was because of the you know the industrial extraction process that we didn't need to know all of that system uh and i think the other part is that the tools we had were still fairly coarse uh and i think that's what the real revolution that's happened is that a lot of the way in which we've done science is and, and understand it, understood these systems, we've had to be essentially uh, uh, reductive <laughs> uh, in our uh, science because it's so expensive to ask lots and lots of questions. Um, and so experimental design and the way in which we've approached this has been extractive and narrow and, uh, again, because of some of those limitations, um, and of course, and it's been, and because of the value of extraction, we've set up 
these siloed organizations that have, you know, professionalized this inquiry uh, and left a lot of people out of the left huge portions of the population out of the inquiry process and haven't been exposed to the process that created all these benefits. And so I think this is, this is something that, you know, we're, we're seeing in, in, in popular politics right now of just this distrust of technology and science because of that. Um, and so I think this is, this is a, it's, it, this is part of where I think the food movement and regenerative agriculture actually has this great service to play in realigning people with the process of co-creating knowledge and the tools to interpret their environment. Yeah. Um, and, and that is where we get back to, this is a roundabout way, but it is how we get back to market values uh, and how, how we, what do we do together? And then where do we use markets uh, to create incentives? Uh, and we'll where, where we it's shared, like we have sort of, so I, you know, I, I, I'm coming at it from a perspective that scientific knowledge is something that we do together. This is not something that you're innovating. Nobody is innovating, uh, is creating scientific knowledge without the process of consensus and collaboration and building on, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years of knowledge. Yeah, so, science doesn't exist without an intersubjective process. Like, no, exactly. And the thing that people forget, I think that, and I wish there's so, if I had done my research, I'd give you like all, I'd give you all the attributes to uh, things that I'm saying here. So I, I should have taken notes beforehand, but, but, but basically the, uh, what I, the, the key that, that I think that is often missed when we're talking about science is, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the, process of, of you know the experimental design and so forth but the other piece is consensus mm -hmm. and that's something we do together and it's partly peer review but it's beyond peer review and i think that's a really important uh part again science doesn't do any good if one person understands a system completely uh it, it's no it's actually not part of the cultural fabric Unless it's, and this is, I think, I think a frustration for anybody engaged in science uh, is that it's, it doesn't do any good until that underlying understanding is not even shared amongst a, a narrow group within an apartment, but that it's part of the cultural fabric and people incorporate it into their worldview and their understanding and interpretation of the world. And, and that's why, again, I keep coming back to where agriculture is a way in which we can essentially apply that and interpret it and regenerative agriculture where we can beneficially sort of apply that process and engage people in, in, into that, that process. Um, I sometimes describe open team or the nexus of open team and region network, whatever the network topology looks like. I sometimes describe it as what we're working on is the world's biggest scientific instrument. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is this is this is a feedback system, and we each play a role in essentially this uh, global environment. You know, it's it's a global collaborative environmental feedback system. Whether it's a soils information, it's not just a soils information system either. It's it's really it's harnessing our our, our environmental observations to to improve our collective understanding of the way the world works. And that's not incompatible with market-based solutions. 
I'm, I just want to make the distinction, and I want to make sure I do it here early enough, that markets, I, I, I want to tease out what is shared scientific understanding of the way the world works with the profit from production and innovation on top of that, the services that we use to interpret that productively and how we should reward those who are able to uh, implement and put their labor, mix their labor with nature to improve it uh, and improve and in service of, of others. I mean, this is, it, it's, it's so fundamental. Uh, and, and, you know, early economists threw up their hands and said, well, well if that's too hard, so we won't do it. I think we have an opportunity to really tackle that. Is like, so, so what you're saying in, in like economics jargon is like, we can start incorporating public goods into how the economy functions. Yeah, well, and common goods and well, they're common goods, and yeah, and they're th those are some of those things that you know we may you know collectively fund to do together, and there but there's innovation around the edges that we can do, but there's there are pieces that should be held in common so that we can innovate on top of them more effective effectively, right. and then there's the the you know that value added part that we're doing that we should where, where there's a public benefit of of, uh, let me step back. From an economics perspective, we wanna shift from rewarding essentially profit from uh, 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 um, rival, so it gets this, sorry to jump into this, but uh, no, so much of extractive economies are rival goods. If I have it, you don't. It's a scarcity economy, right? Uh, and where we move towards an economy based on not just club goods, but non-rival uh, goods, things like knowledge, uh, experience, uh, you know, uh, natural abundance. There's essentially where we're not, we're working towards an abundance-based economy where there's an incentive to produce access, not restrict access. Um, and so that's, and I think that's really, really important. And non-rival means that, you know, uh, if somebody else uses it, you can also use it. And in fact, by their using it, it might be even enhanced. So ideas, you know, knowledge is one of those things. A science is one of those things where by getting your feedback, the idea may get better. Um, the design of a device may get better because more people look at it and use it and adapt it. Um, the, so ideas are like I think the, a, a wonderful uh, non-rival good. Um, so uh, you know I think you know not to rely on you know Jefferson and all his other problematic things, but he used the uh, you know a candle is is a great example. It gives if it gives me light, it doesn't mean that you don't get light from it. Um, and so I think that's those that's really an important concept. And I. Uh, and, and environmental quality is another example. So many of the things we're talking about, environmental services, are non-rival uh, in you know biodiversity and habitat and uh, clean air and water are things that are you know it, it, and where if you're enhancing it, we're all benefiting it. Uh, if you're polluting it, then it's rival. You're using it up <laughs> essentially. But there's right. It could go either way. But also, it's like we need to have a but beauty, beauty, and design, and you know, experiences are other examples. Anyway, there's this, there's a need for sort of like a 
an evolution of new ways of thinking about, uh, you know, these sorts of, I don't know good, if goods is the right word even, but. <clears throat> well, goods and services, services, and I think. You know, outcomes that are like, for instance, environmental quality, you know, in, in the, the benefits of environmental quality at like a watershed scale range to global benefits from carbon cycle balances and, you know, um, nutrient balances going into the ocean, et cetera, to at the, at the edge to like concentric circles, the closer you are in until you're actually living in the watershed or on the farm, then you have the maximum benefit from, from those non-rivalrous benefits. So it's sort of like there's like this gradation or this continuum of access to something that doesn't mean that other people are getting shut off in any way. It just means that according to your proximity to the candle, for instance, if you're a long way from the candle, right. you don't get to see the light. If you're close, you do. Right. So the and I think that's what we're looking at with these ecosystem service markets and using technology to get people closer to that experience and to understand is to bring people together in terms of understanding that even if you're in an urban environment, you're understanding that the air or water quality is improved because of these processes and you're, you're benefiting from that. So I think that that's what we're talking about in terms of making those non-rival invisible goods visible and, 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 and valuable. And creating funding, you know, creating opportunities for, I mean, the, the vision I've always had is, you know, in that, if you have a watershed, you have farms upstream, you have a municipality, you have a city, town downstream, there's such an obvious linkage between the land use up above in the watershed and the, you know, flood resilience and water quality and access to food and, you know, all the ecosystem services that are produced that creating economic relationships that, that go beyond just the, the private goods of like the wheat or the corn or the right that's produced by that farm seems obvious to me that you would, that you would want to create economic relationships in which people who benefit from great stewardship are helping fund and, you know, reduce risk for the steward who's producing right. those outcomes downstream. And one way that we go about trying to accomplish that is this concept, which I think is sort of forgotten in a way, but that's like the basic theory right there, at least from my perspective. And one way to produce that is, you know, this concept of ecosystem service credits and carbon yeah. credits and these other sorts of things. And so I'd love for you to talk, you know, just sort of, speak about, you know, one of the things that we had intended to talk about was just like the sort of the state of ecosystem service credit design and where the market seems to be going and where oh, that yeah. may be leading us astray. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to get into that. Uh, I, I would like to add before we get into that, that, you know, the, that experience, that, you know, credits are one interpretation but that we're also seeing in terms of what we're asking for agriculture uh, is more of a link to that environment. We're seeing it in all sorts of different ways in terms of the, the boom in, you know, agritourism or so forth, but that, that every farm and set, you know, 
part of farm viability is connecting people to that process. And that's what we're seeing is sort of, sort of, there's a popular, you know, you know, connection to local food partly because of that. And we're adding some value and not all the value is being captured in the, in the price of the way we, you know, buy food and we're much more comfortable often not paying for it through food, but in other ways Mm -hmm. uh, by, you know, in, you know, in other, you know, in staying on a cabin on a farm or, a, you know, an Airbnb or whatnot. I mean, I think these are what we're seeing globally in terms of the, the desire to, to make those connections and create that value. Right. It, so people find, they, they, people create education or tourism or they create product premiums around the amazing food yeah. with a great story or, you know, there's sort of layers in which our society is figuring out how to value quality. Yeah, and exactly. And, but when we're doing this at a global scale, the further away people are, the more connected they are with, you know, the further they are from that production system that's supporting them, the more we need technology to interpret it uh, and, and create, you know, the, the connection to those, the values that they're trying to express in some way. Uh, or and maybe even as you're saying in the short term, short to midterm, I, I sort of believe there's a, there is a need in our culture today to have quantitative and qualitative um, assessments of, you know, ecological health and, yeah. and, and vibrance available to all of the stakeholders who are influenced by it. Precise. And we can produce more abundance of that if we can create, if we have this mechanisms to recognize what people actually want. We just are sending the wrong signals and we're unhappy with the signals we're sending, but we just haven't had the tools to send the right signals to get what we actually, I believe, collectively actually enjoy. I mean, people want a greener, more beautiful environment that is safe, you know, safe drinking water, safe, you know, place, uh, pastoral landscapes with lots of diversity and habitat that, you know, that they can, uh, you know, we, we certainly see the sort of the, the, the global sort of connection with and concern with the way in which, you know, animals are, are raised and, and environmental concerns around and, and the political power that those concerns have. All of those are trying to address some of this, get at some of this underlying desire to, to interact and with the environment in, uh, in a way that, that actually meets our values, uh, which I think, again, I, I come back to, I believe are actually intrinsic shared human experiences or, you know, there's, there's something fundamental <laughs> To, and, and, and biological, we know that there are healthy environments for us to live in. And there, there are feedback loops in when we're in, uh, in, a, uh, in a healthy environment. Mm. Um, so, but, but to get back to, because and, and you'll find in this conversation, I always try to sort of step away from the technology first before we get into it, because I, I totally love getting into the weeds of the tech, uh, but I have to keep stepping back. Why? you know, that because you can get very easily go down the wrong path because we get really intrigued with, uh, you know, AI and remote sensing and image analysis and the coolest new sensor and playing with drones. And that's all great too. Um, but 
really, I think, continuing to work to put that into context is important uh, in order to uh, achieve some of the, the, the bigger breakthroughs that I think are, are important. Because otherwise, we see this angst that we have in terms of the kinds of things that are coming out of Silicon Valley that will make the, uh, the world a better place. And some of those same tools redeployed can, I believe, get that same result. But we have to keep revisit revisiting that. But maybe redeployed with different profit motives, different different motives, motives same underlying tools, deployed with a different with a different model uh, that doesn't strand incredible amounts of human capital that have gone into really good work that can't be actually used and, and built on. So I think that's that's being more efficient with our innovation rather than less. And I think this is where we have you know in natural resource economics you call it a market failure, right? We're not getting the desired efficiency and result from our, our investments. Um, so that's, uh, yeah. So, so where, where are we with, uh, uh, ecosystem service markets, I think was the, <laughs> what we're trying to get to. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe coming at it like first, I don't know, we can talk about it in whatever way sort of just organically emerges, but I have the sense that, I mean, so like just for framing, I myself have been a long time skeptic of ecosystem service markets, especially well, carbon, especially well, carbon credits and carbon markets. Let's start with that. Let's 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 say let's let's like maybe I don't know if, if you're up for this, but I, yeah. I'm I'm totally in on back, a little back and forth in terms of why the current framing of carbon markets is problematic. Yeah. Um, and then we can maybe work in towards uh, how do we get from where we are now to where the potential is, which is, I, I think, pretty exciting and, and actually where, uh, you know, from Regen's perspective, I think is very exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, we've, I, I think, so much of the carbon credits and the offsets and so forth uh, that were, are, being are, are really coming from a industrial pollution control model yeah right where we're we're, we're measuring emissions from a very specific thing we can do it and they can do it very precisely and well, somewhat they, they pretend it's precise but actually surprisingly enough <laughs> that it's not as precise as they well but the okay let's say the perception is that we can we can stick you know, it's coming out of a smokestack. Yeah, but it, measure, it's crazy that, that it isn't actually like, they don't actually use sensors or anything like that. All they're doing is the same kind of empirical modeling stuff that we, we do with soil. So yeah. anyway, it's like a... But, <laughs> so, but at the, at the, at the, the it, it's to some extent, it's point source. And yeah. we, and more importantly, I think though, is that we're, it's treated as this is a net bad, right? How do we reduce it? That, yeah, we want to reduce that. We want to, so, and so enter in concepts like additionality, like right. um, like avoided emissions where you get credits for, you know, emitting relatively less. Like, so should Everything we be giving the, corona, should we be giving the coronavirus, should we be getting, should we assigning the coronavirus some sort of like avoided emissions credit or something for the, for the massive reduction in emissions in China. It's like this very strange logic that starts to emerge yeah, around how 
how the right. market engages with. Well, it's even, I mean, it, it has, it suffers from the same thing as GDP where you're, you know, all academic t- activity is treated as, you know, as good. Yeah. Uh, clearly that's not the case. So this is, this suffers from some of the same, same issue. And, and you're right, exactly. Then we have all these, all these other problems that pop up because of that to create financial instruments to do that. Like, as you said, you know, uh, you know, additionality and understanding whether the behavior would have happened anyway. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think, uh, uh, and permanence, uh, and so forth. And so all of these again are in the whole UN framework is, is essentially coming from that place because that was the model and it worked for things like ozone and other, you know, things that were really, you know, again, these point source things. I think when we're shifting towards, and I think what we have to look at is that agriculture does perhaps provide some of that service but that's not the way to build a system to 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 measure it or to reward it because we have the potential. Uh, and I think if we don't design a system that goes beyond net bad and in fact creates incentives to produce abundance and of net goods mm-hmm. uh, in terms of positive services, then we're we're never gonna we're never gonna have a system that's going to get there. We're always gonna be working over creating huge amounts of uh, of bureaucratic financial uh, you know uh, legal mechanisms to work around a fundamental a system that isn't based on the underlying uh, benefits of the system. It, it doesn't fundamentally doesn't understand nature. It understands an industrial process. I and and so I think more. that's. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, he so, agreement, and that's essentially where we're at. Is and and maybe it's a Britain. So that's where we're at. Is I I see that we're working through a number of these environmental service marketplaces with corporate goals that are trying to you know balance, uh, you know their insetting or offsetting emissions to get to that. Then that's all fine. We but it's an interim step, I think, from where we 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 can't just jump. Uh, I mean, I'm all for jumping as quickly as we can into this alternative system, but all of the tools and the legal structures and mechanisms aren't there yet. So my, my, you know, my thinking through this is how do we create a bridge from where we are to where we need to go as quickly as we can possibly get there? And how can we uh, fit as much, many of these concepts or create, and this is why in any of the processes that I'm engaged with, I always say, let's build a modular system, let's have it versioned. <laughs> uh, let's have a system that will adapt to change uh, and doesn't lock us into a system legally, financially, or otherwise, uh, or you know, technologically that, that strands too much. We're gonna have some stranded efforts in the process but how can we strand as little as possible in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's all logical. So I think, you know, thinking of, we did a little bit of an overview there of what's problematic about the way that carbon is being approached. I would add a couple more things. But not just add, carbon, but yes, but carbon especially. I, yeah. I would add, yeah, g- generally, you know, the, the, the system to value, protect, and but, regenerate you know, ecological or environmental quality is very 
poorly developed and mostly coming from, as you're saying, this sort of like reduce harm industrial mindset, which tends to, I find that even the most innovative projects in the space tend to be sort of like carbon reductionist where everything starts to collapse into and and there's like an unwillingness to break certain boundaries that i would say i think you were sort of pointing to this are essentially like type one errors of design they're essentially like (laughs) without without breaking those those old ways of thinking about it and reapproaching from what is real around the carbon cycle and landscapes and farms and food production and starting there and asking what do we want to create we want to create a system that turns you know a trillion tons of atmospheric carbon into a, a trillion tons of soil and forest and wetland and coral reef and That's biodiversity and viable enterprises exactly. and rural, you know, livelihoods. And, and that's what we need to do. And we need to do that things. in the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. And there's a way that will create this enormous economic upside. It will also have some costs and it will have some risks. And we need to mitigate the risks and we need to underwrite the costs. And we need to, you know, essentially um, reward success performance-based success at turning that atmospheric carbon into life essentially right and and abundance not scarcity what we want is to is to create incentives to create a huge amount of it not create a little bit out of it and then value it really highly we actually want to create a huge surplus of that (laughs) so there's a there's an economic there's like a discrete economic design right there that i think we just sort of laid out which to me is the, the, the starting place to have conversations about the versions. Like we start with, you know, ecosystem service credits 2.0, which meets corporate CSR and yeah. ESG and impact investing where it's at, which is not where it needs to be. And then it moves that whole space in and transforms it into a system that is dynamic and adaptive yeah. and and facilitates the the reinvestiture into living capital essentially right and, and that that and i think the co-creation of that benefit so that the creators of that are benefiting and creating equity in that in that new asset class in in perennials and in deeper soil that they have access to like all those things there is an appreciation and there's a and there's a natural return on investment there mm-hmm. like again but if it's and i think this i don't want to get into it but you know there's there's a certain the interest rates or the the financing and the returns on that can't be above what the level that the natural system is returning that's right there's a whole new asset class that has to be created and it has to be bound the financial rules have to be bound to the rules of living systems and not but isn't that a wonderful incentive to get more out of your investment to accelerate the appreciation of those natural assets that's exactly right and that's the if and and that's where i think you know where our mind meld the the next like weaving back which is if if then you have this robust, collective, intersubjective, scientific instrument that can, with, with a high degree of precision, 
say whether or not that living system actually improved biodiversity or actually improved soil health, actually generated the foundation for the living capital that you're trying to create an asset class on. That's the prerequisite for that asset class to exist, is the verification network, is the collective understanding that the system increased in health. And the beautiful thing is that the system to create that is, again, based not on extractive minerals from around, you know, that we have to ship all over the world. By and large, the way to achieve that is harnessing genetic diversity and biological mechanisms to create that. That's the low cost. Knowledge. You know, how do you rotate your cattle and when do you do a crop rotation? Right. And which combinations of genetics do you mix in to... And so moving seeds, genetics around the world is very inexpensive. Moving knowledge around the world is actually very inexpensive. I think where we're learning is like, how do we actually do that well? So that we, because that's, because huge, again, mass industrialization, you know, massive, uh, you know, know, precision agriculture equipment isn't going to actually deliver all of those benefits. Uh, and so this is actually something that's usually accessible and so that the fungal bacterial populations that we're, that we can, that we can both cultivate uh, or, inoc- you know, move globally, but also inoculate locally uh, or create essentially the environment for them to propagate themselves to, to, to move the phosphorus, water, nitrogen, you know, use abundant nitrogen in the atmosphere, abundant carbon in the atmosphere, abundant water vapor in the atmosphere <laughs> to, to be able to adapt that to create, it's, it's alchemy, essentially. It's, yeah. it's this wonderful thing that put us here in the first place, right? Yeah. Um, but, it's, it, but it's incredible. It's this most wonderful, it's like birth, I guess, like the most amazing thing and yet it's the most common thing as well. Um, and so it's like, how do we, how do we uh, share in our interpretation uh, of that process? And then, and as we say, create the rewards to, to, to feedback and have, because, you know, what we've, you know, this is kind of the wonderful thing about systems is we have this system that degrades, it's sort of this negative feedback system of degraded natural systems that, degraded systems support less, which then support less, which require more inputs and lower yields, et cetera. But the opposite is also possible where we increase the capacity, which increases the, the, the availability of nutrients and water retention and resilience and, uh, and, and so forth. So I, I think this is just a, an amazing economic human experiment to be launching, uh, and of course, there's there's the urgency to actually actually get it done. Um, so it's not an academic exercise. It's actually a very practical human uh, uh, exercise that we really <laughs> that uh, is incredibly urgent for us to to tackle. As yeah. you say, in 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 not too many decades. <laughs> so what what are the approaches to this that you're seeing and and what are their limitations right now? How are people falling short from the potential or starting off with type one errors that you know may 
you know, I, I don't think are going to like keep it from actualizing, but may uh, result in stranded effort, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and um, you know, just definitely balancing that with the the different environmental sort of the the, the offset market programs. I mean, I think because I I think that's like you said that's that's where things are at. There's going to be a bureau, there's bureaucratic initiative to to move forward, uh, and so I think that's that's where we're at is quantifying environmental improvement over time to create uh, offset. Uh, you know, products that can then meet the current, you know, uh, demand and meet you know, goals that are being set by governments and by large organizations and, you know, corporations. Um, so I think that's, that's the interim step. I think our role in, and a lot of that is emergent. So there's, there's a lot of flexibility. I, I think our role in that is to push for, uh, again, recognition that that these systems are going to be better, and then we can version and we can pull out our measurement tools, our measurement, you know, uh, reporting and verification tools to create new and better evaluations and better, uh, you know, financial instruments and and rewards and incentives based on that same underlying data. Because I think where we're, we where we don't have to. Uh, um, where we don't have to have stranded assets is essentially that the, the same data that we're collecting and this foundational work that we're using to support that system will still work to support the, the, the next system. So I'm not particularly worried about that as long as we're all communicating and see that there's this other potential future. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I'm excited, you know, with Open Team, we have all sorts of different approaches that are at different levels of, you know, different parts of that timeline. I see Regen is reaching out to, to the next piece and laying the foundation and the technical underpinnings to make that vision happen and possibly solving a lot of the problems in the interim as well. Um, and we, and we have, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think that's where Nori is providing great service to meet people where they're at right now, or in a ESMC is a little bit in between. Yeah. Um, for example, um, so I, I think, uh, and I think the strength is is if we can create a relationship rather than a competitive relationship, but really that these efforts are aligned in to where we ultimately want to get, and and that's that comes down to having the personal conversations with the people involved. And my experience is that pretty much everybody involved is willing to have that conversation, and most of us just want to make it work and to get there. And so uh, we're, we're all, uh, I, I, so I think that's, that's really important is again to be connecting at that level. And of course we, you know, we all have our organizational needs to make sure that we can do what we need to do to get there. And that's, that's part of what open team is about is to help to bridge that and recognize uh, to help uh, 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 make that, the, that level of dialogue and, uh, and smooth some of that uh, uh, that uh, the, the tension in in those relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you, if I remember, you know, when we were chatting on the phone maybe a week or two ago, you had indicated that you specifically wanted to, you know, talk about some things that you were thinking were maybe problematic about you know, the approaches to ecosystem service credits. 
that people were taking. Um, have we accomplished that or is there still something? Yeah, I mean, we sort of brushed over. I mean, we could get into the nitty gritty of like the current way that say certain systems are working with additionality or permanence. Uh, that I don't, I don't know that that's <laughs> necessary to dive into too much. Uh, I, I guess we could touch on it a little bit in that, you know, I, I think, I, I think like so many things, I think we have, if we look beyond our, uh, our sort of siloed enterprises, we have amazing solutions and minds that have solved problems in other areas that we can bring to bear. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you know, we've, you know, often I think from environmental service markets or, you know, or, you know, coming at it overly from a, you, you, there, there might be a, a, a tendency to say that, you know, over financialization is the problem and then, and not see that there, there actually are probably some financial tools and mechanisms and derivatives that can actually be really beneficial to help bridge. Mm -hmm. um, but they actually, just like our tools and technologies like drones and satellite imagery and large databases and surveillance state, you know, kind of tech, they can also be misused and coercive and, and sort of ratchet down and create a ratcheting down on, of environmental, you know, you know, the, the system. And yeah. so that's where we have to be really careful, but they can also be, you know, it's the difference between like a private equity and like a, uh, you know, a co-op, you know, company and a, and a, a cooperative bank, right? <laughs> so if we're returning dividends to the share, to the shareholders who are the, who are the owners uh, who are participating fully in that process, then we can use tools, you know, like sophisticated insurance tools or things like that. They can that's, actually- To me, that's just fundamental. You just hit the nail on the head, which is one of the big reasons why we've tried to architect things the way we have at Regen Network, although it's gonna, you know, it's a long path to get there, but, you know, financial, financial tools and the ability to use fintech um, yeah if the users if the stakeholders if everyone uh, all of us humans who are you know part of the market that's being used if we're the shareholders and we right. benefit and govern it then it's fantastic you can align incentives you can you can get really precise and specific about agreements. There's all of these layers of tools and risk mitigation and, you know, market mechanisms and how to govern market mechanisms. All of that is there at our fingertips. But when it's applied in, in a way that, you know, it the, the has extractive sort of rent seeking behavior that's just sucking out the, the resources of the users, then it's going to be bad essentially it's going to it's going to end poorly <laughs> yeah well well exactly and i think one of the things that we're facing that's a i think one of our greatest challenges with any of this you know financial tech tech in general science in general is the is 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 essentially managing that in, incredible complexity and building trust 
in that process, making it human interpretable because these systems have a tendency to spin out of the human scale and out of people, you know, people's comfort zones uh, in lots of different ways. And so I think that's where, uh, you know, so much work I think is in, it's not oversimplifying it, but creating interfaces to these tools, financial tools, technology tools that are human interpretable so that all the AI and so forth is actually telling us more about how it works and the way the world works rather than less. Um, and I don't know if that's uh, that. And so that's, that's a design process that is, and again, when we're resource constrained, often that human interpretable, the documentation, the pieces that make all the work that we do useful to others is often left off. We just try to get the process done so that we can do the next thing and get the minimum viable product forward. And that's all reasonable. And yet we leave people behind. This is the, the I would argue in science and technology, we, we have, we're leaving a lot of people behind mm-hmm. uh, in that. And we see the distrust in scientists and technology and government and, and, you know, just, you know, look at all the climate denial uh, just as one case, but there's so many. Well, right. Um, Because it's so easy if people don't have understanding of. Well, they're not involved in the tool in involved in the tools and in in participating in the knowledge generation. It's so easy. And, and it has historically been manipulated to to say things for short term extractive gain by somebody who's just like, Oh, hand wave this hand wave that it's true buy this thing. And then people are like, people, people very, it's very logical how people are starting to have sort of like almost like an autoimmune response to the the knowledge, the the gatekeepers of knowledge. Right. And and so I think that's really important. I know you put a lot of effort into regen network and thinking about the governance and making and, and, uh, and so forth. And, and I also know (laughs) very clearly in conversations with you that the struggle of interpreting all of the underlying mechanisms that are necessary to, to, to actually create a system with integrity. It, even though it's, it's, you're working through that, all that, that work is complex. I mean, look at what we're trying to, we're nationally struggling with a, a civ- civics lesson <laughs> right now in understanding just the basic way in which, you know, uh, a democracy should function or the way it was, you know, the tools that we should have at our fingertips to, to, to make that system work. And we're talking in some ways of a, a much greater level of civic engagement, uh, you know, totally. like natural resource management as a civic, you know, you know, governance, governance is part of our civic obligation. Totally. Um, and that's a, that's, that's asking, we're asking a lot more of people. And I also think that people want it <laughs> and are capable. Of, and, you know, I, I think that's, that's, if we're co-creating this together, uh, it will actually not be something you or I design. It will be actually a product that's interpretable by people because they helped create it. Well, that's um, the biggest. So the biggest tension I see and the, maybe the biggest, you know, the doubters, the skeptics of everything that we're saying, that that, that um, devil's advocate voice is going to say at this moment enters in and says, is that really what people want? 
are people really willing to participate? Are people really willing to change their habits? Um, or is there some innate human nature thing that the Googles and Facebooks of the world are just successfully... Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I think it's we a short term. We all just want to be passive consumers. Just yeah, let, yeah. Just let the machine make my decisions for me and feed me a healthy diet of entertainment and junk food, and I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and I think this is this is sort of our 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 overall, you know, our, the what's what's the long term trajectory of uh, you know of this human experiment, right? Of <laughs> Um, yeah, and what's, you know, what, what can we accomplish short term and, and what are we, what are we working towards in terms of the, the long-term potential? So I think that's a, it's a, it's a fair question. And we've also seen huge success stories within our lifetimes in terms of advances, not in terms of our, uh, how we are managing our environment but how we're working <laughs> with one another <laughs> um so i think you know all the development you know so many development goals have are, are moving you know we've made tremendous progress on um we just have to do this in terms of how we relate to in the environment and that has these unique characteristics that we're talking about yeah um So what, I mean, there's a couple different branching places for the conversation to go. Um, what are you, what are you most excited for in the coming year? Like what is, what, what do you think that, what do you think Open Team is going to accomplish by the end of the year? That that maybe is beyond what you could have seen when you, when you were still when this was still in an, an inception. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's one of the things that gives me hope is how willing people are across from You know, I mean, first of all, that Open Team even made as much progress as it did after. You know, I, I feel like. Uh, maybe I haven't been having these conversations with you for a decade, but I've been having <laughs> these conversations for a very long time and very few people are willing to engage until the last year. And that we've also been able to take this from uh, something that's more of a philosophical conversation to translate that into an organization and communities and tools that, and things that people are building and acting on. Um, and that's essentially reflected in an open team, but also in so many other conversations that are happening. Uh, you know, when we, uh, I, you know, go back to a few weeks ago where we have, you know, Bob Stallman, the former president of uh, uh, the Farm Bureau, mm -hmm. introducing Al Gore to talk about regenerative agriculture. Yeah. You know, that right, right there shows where the potential is. And I don't think I could have said that that was going to happen like three months ago, even, you know, that that would, that that transition and the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance embracing the idea that, yeah, agriculture is part of not just this, you know, part of the solution, but a major potential, you know, part of the solution. Well, the beautiful thing about the regenerative agriculture awareness movement potential is that it, it's so rightfully puts farmers 
in the center of the conversation again after yeah. so long of sort of like being kind of marginalized as just well, rather than these sort of back like i said these sort of backward you know low information rural enterprises uh, as opposed to no actually or just technicians on the like on the other side like maybe maybe there's sort of a dual thing in our culture right now that's being transformed which is farmers are either sort of just backwoods rural you know hicks, or these elitists or they just drive in a combine that they you know just like or we have these local food elitists that are like that uh, you know out of brooklyn you know or local food elitists but there is right. but, but <laughs> i think what's happening right now is that the that the complexity and the dynamic nature and the integral part of agriculture in our society and farmers and land stewards as kind of like as a as a foundation foundational class of citizens that we all rely on and rely on us and are just sort of part of this, you know, yeah, part of our society is becoming more and more aware. I, I, people are becoming more and more aware of that. It's yeah. Like, so, that, I mean, that's what, I mean, I think the pace of change has been something that surprised me a lot. Uh, and it, in, in a good way, that's given me hope. And I think it's a time where people are really looking for things that are hopeful. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think that's that's really, uh, but it's not Pollyannish. It's it's based. This is is all achievable too. I think that's what's exciting, is that this is this solution is right potentially right there, and I think the other piece that is really encouraging, uh, and it comes out of I think this shift in framing from like practice based standards and uh, sort of limit and you know essentially all these tools that we've used to sort of put guide rails around agriculture towards uh, and, and I'm, a, you know, I grow up on an organic farm. We're still a fairly, you know, diversified regenerative organic farm selling to local markets. You know, that's where I'm coming from. But I think one of the most positive things that's happened is the shift towards away from sort of this practice-based certification towards outcome-based measurements and that allows for innovation and to bring people together in some of the shared understanding of what we're trying to achieve together. Mm -hmm. And so soil health was the first way in which we did that uh, in terms of reframing and talking about soil health as being something that we can agree on. Uh, and it's not about, and you can say, Oh, it has this climate effect. It has this economic effect. It has this, you know, all these different, you know, positive potential beneficial things, but it's something that we can measure and there are lots of ways to get there. The, the ways to get there are by, are by and large going to be more biological. I mean, the, uh, but it allows for, you know, conventional, large scale, small scale, animal agriculture, you know, row crop production, perennial crop, all to have the same conversation. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the foundation for so much of this next conversation around regenerative. And also why I think, and I'm really encouraged by, you know, when we started, even with Open Team, we weren't didn't feel comfortable widely using regenerative, even though that's where I'm personally coming from and thought it was a powerful word, to it now being the ma a mainstream concept. Yeah. Uh, and so that is also, yeah. it has the same characteristics as soil health, is that there are approaches to achieve regenerative outcomes, but 
fundamentally, it's something that is outcome-based. It's neutral. It's sort of, it can be scientifically, <laughs> quantifiably measured and improved with over time. It, and uh, yes, and so often I push back and say, we're doing regenerative practices. Well, that's not regenerative agriculture. You're work, perhaps that's what you, in your mind you're working towards. But until we measure this change over time, it's not regenerative. And that is actually a positive thing in my mind. Mm. Uh, and, and culturally, and it's where, again, we have an opportunity to collaborate and improve the way we measure it and, 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 and uh, again, become really good at create innovation in how we get there. So, so we have producers like Gabe Brown that may be using herbicide, but also doing phenomenal work in other, you know, in other ways and innovating. And they can have a conversation with somebody who's choosing not to use herbicides. And maybe that's their, their good reasons to do one or another, but actually we have a, a we have a bridge in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's, and so I think that's something that I'm seeing happen and I'm seeing it happen, not just between farmers, but I'm seeing it happen with researchers, um, mm-hmm. seeing the power of that with the environmental service marketplaces and financial instruments and government agencies. I mean, the more we can move towards outcome-based measurement rather than, you know, some of this, specific uh sort of more prescriptive approaches i think the 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 better it just requires some more work (laughs) up front and have the tools to actually do those out those measurements but uh culturally i think it's it's incredibly important and and what i'm most excited about i think yeah fantastic well cool that's a good answer i mean the it has also surprised me and um, yeah, it's totally taken me off guard the the speed at which regenerative agriculture has become front and center in the the national and I think even global discourse around yeah. on on so many different levels, and it seems to be succeeding at breaking down barriers. It I don't sense that. I mean, I think that there's obviously that. You know, um, the agricultural sector tends to be fairly conservative and adopts things slowly. So it's not as if all of this is just going to happen overnight. But it really feels true to me that the the foundational concept of of outcomes and soil health and sort of like it's dissolving so many of the polarities that I was worried might get in the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think the 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 thing that we're again, I'm excited about where Open Team and other member organizations can come in and accelerate that process is when we start measuring some of these other benefits, environmental service benefits, you know, phosphorus use efficiency or nitrogen use efficiency, you know, how much of the the how how far can we drop our inputs mm. to get these other desirable outputs? That becomes uh, sort of these data-driven stories we tell about agriculture, I, I think, become, again, really uh, exciting points of, uh, of intersection. And also, not just, as I mentioned, between farmer to farmer, but also to help reduce some of the distrust of the technology that we're using because we're, we're actually using to get direct feedback uh, on on the land, um, and, and I think this is again one of those things where 
and, and create intersections between you know again personal use and uh, of of technology with sort of some of the government data sets and satellite imagery uh, and um, and then ideally shifting our relationship with the you know the the, the buyers of food, whether they're large or small. <laughs> um, so I, 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 but these, these, the, I think it, again, it, it's one of these things where the, because of the way that we're, we're able, we're just starting to shift the way we talk about agriculture, the way we talk about measurement, the way we talk about the environment, it allows us to create a very different relationship again uh, with with, with science, with commerce, with markets, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, and with each other. So anyway, that's um, and we're seeing lo there are lots of little little examples um, of that uh, that I, I think are happening every day at this point. Yeah. Well, so to kind of do a hundred and eighty degree shift of the conversation here. Um, the next question I have is around, so just to frame it, you know, I have a sense that most of the founders of what we currently call the internet yeah. were enormously idealistic and had, they had this understanding that what they were building sort of had no downside and that it was going to transform <laughs> the world in this oh, utopian, yeah. beautiful way and... And sometimes I myself get swept up into a similar sort of maybe utopian sense of, of you know, in the open team context in the region network team or, or blockchain space of like this community of people who are like building oh, yeah. the future and we're doing this together and it's going to create all these things. I'm just curious, looking back at what ended up happening to the internet and how that has it started to have negative and positive consequences in society. Um, what, what lessons are you drawing from that? And what are, if you could name a couple of things that you think potentially are sort of like the nascent seeds of something that we need to be aware of now. <laughs> um, what are those? What are the things that we yeah. need to be conscious of now? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think there 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 are a, f a few uh, a few of those, um, and you know, and I I think there in our we we need to there's a lot of tension around uh, sort of open source and viable business models and innovation to how, how do we support this common infrastructure and also support enterprises in, in, uh, in, and tease out where are those common goods and what are we, and what are we paying for? And that, you know, open source doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that we're, we're not paying for the services that we use um, and, and the benefit that we're deriving. So I think it's really important to create mechanisms to allow for the for recognition and contribution and also uh for enterprises to recognize their contributions to it and to support themselves and to create uh and support the common infrastructure i mean i think this is why we have you know we have all this backlash uh, for you know facebook and twitter and ad-based 
you know, systems to support what we all want, which is free access and low cost access to information. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the same issues that are facing the internet are the ones that we're also facing when we're trying to apply this to natural systems and the next generation of markets and the tools to support that. Um, and I also think we have some new tools to approach that, uh, both in terms of the architecture of our communications and more peer-to-peer -peer, uh, connections and user-controlled where we're, we're paying at, 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 the, at the edge for what we use. Um, and, and some of these novel uh, tools that uh, obviously you're in the middle of where we can create attribution and new ways to trace value added, value we're adding to the uh, to environmental data to interpret it and that, that, that that's a real service and that we can understand who's used it and how and what value that that has. But we need to be able to to create a reward system, both social, but also other rewards to recognize that and not have it be captured. And, and, and so that's the danger is that we reproduce essentially the same consolidation uh, and sort of a, a, a approach to, uh, to markets where the benefits are recognized by a very few participants. Um, and it, and then, and then, and then ultimately limited because of the, so the lack of trust. <laughs> So we can't get to where we are because it isn't uh, where we'd like to be because it isn't isn't trusted and because it isn't trusted it can't scale uh, to the extent that it should or it can't do all the things that it really it's it the 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 potential isn't realized uh, because of narrow uh, or sort of limited business models uh, associated with that. So I think. Um, you know, and that's true with, uh, you know, it's, that's one of the, the dangers that we really see with, even with opt-in, you know, we're, we're designing an open team to be, you know, we're, we, we believe, you know, agricultural data uh, should, uh, should be controlled by those who create it at the farm level and, and that it should be opt-in in terms of how it's exchanged and that that, that allows for a transaction to happen. That doesn't mean that that transaction can't be coercive and that the same market mechanisms that have ratcheted down commodity producers can treat that farm level data as that another commodity to be ratcheted down where the, those that created get, you know, 3% on the dollar or whatever it is, that, that same process can happen and that the value becomes in the derivatives and the analysis and, and that you then, you, you could essentially reproduce that model where you buy buy retail, sell wholesale, and pay freight both ways. That's what we don't want for our, for our knowledge and the information we're providing. We want to, you know, uh, you know sell retail, <laughs> not have to buy inputs, and be able to have people come to us, <laughs> right? That's yeah. the idea with that, 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 the, the, that are, um, and that that's what actually builds uh, and creates the abundance we want to see uh, is that we're rewarding those outputs. But I mean, so I think there are lots of pitfalls um, that uh, that we can have that are that you know that are essentially the those that have been reproduced many times in many other <laughs> uh, in other situations. You know, we and I'd also say that you know the that idealism that created the internet is also created the foundation for a lot of the open source tools that we're also building on still. 
Yep. And that idealism still exists. And a lot of the people who created that are trying to look at what's the next generation. How do we, yep. okay, that was an experiment. It got us partway there. It had some unintended consequences. How do we, what do we do next? And so some of these new tools are being built on top of that learning experience. Um, so, you know, I, I look at, you know, I, I get really encouraged. It's outside of our space for, agri you know, agriculture, but, you know, when you think about, okay, we say Uber is super, uh, you know, has this issue with, uh, in terms of uh, being coercive and monopoly, of, of, you know, you know, sort of pushing down in terms of its providers, and it didn't create peer-to-peer -peer communications between its drivers. Uh, but the underlying technology that makes that a rideshare service work could very well be produced where there's peer-to-peer -peer connection and owned by the drivers and work perhaps just as well. So you need a tech-enabled cooperative to create this. And I know that there are folks working on that. And I see that potential. And again, I'm, I'm using a different example, but Regen is, you know, is really looking at a similar sort of model. Like, how do we cope? Totally. Yeah, the sort of platform cooperative model, and which is what we were talking about before in terms of like, you know, who owns the financial infrastructure yeah. that you use to create all the novel... And, and can we, while we're designing it, can we embed some of these values around communications that uh, rather than creating sort of a lack of communication that allows for control, that allows for actually greater peer-to-peer -peer connection uh, and supports that, because that same infrastructure exists. It's just a matter of shifting who is it designed for and what are we trying to get out of that system? Well, the funding model. So, the, I mean, yeah. for me, that's one of the most exciting things about Open Team and some of the innovations in, you know, blockchain space around funding and business models. Like, fundamentally, I would sort of describe the risk, you know, the cautionary tale is Google, really, where you have, you know, you have these two Google founders, you know, Sergey and whatever, the other guy's name is, I'm drawing a blank, you know, being PhD students yeah. at Stanford and they're, they write this, you know, algorithm, this search algorithm, and they say in their paper that, you know, it would be perverted and, and wrong to, you know, link it to an ad-based revenue stream. And then, you know, and then they get funded by venture capital and then they get, you know, four or five years that they're just sort of like happy-go-lucky trying to, you know, just innovating and building stuff and all these things. They never sort their business model out. And then, you know, there's a moment of crisis and then they shift everything over to ad-based surveillance yeah. capitalism. And, and there, in that moment, surveillance capitalism is born, basically, because you've wedded, you've wedded the, the, you know, the business model with the ability yeah. to collect data on your users and all this stuff starts to go weird. And so it's, it's always comes back to where is the money coming from and what are the strings that are attached that build the infrastructure? Sure. Yeah, well, and, and, and I think that's where the next level of innovation has is how do you get that same output of, you know, the creation of these incredible collaborative tools and connectivity and access to information uh, and, and scalable that's, uh, that, uh, you know, and so essentially we have the model for what we want out of it, but we have to figure out a different way to, way to get there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's, uh, and I think that's, that's, that, that's essentially 
where we have it, we have a, this wonderful opportunity. Cause I also, I mean, I think there's a different, you know, we, we need some, we need a larger continuum on the funding side mm-hmm. to recognize is that, that there's some things that are really work really well for the venture funded model. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't yeah. want to, but there's so much failure and there's so much stranded assets that we can see a lot of questioning about, well, for some of these things, maybe that's not the best model. We need to invest in this larger ecosystem that will support that. And then let's innovate on, on top. And that's sort of the foundation for food and ag is sort of looking at that. And I always, you know, I always go back to the, you know, the human genome project or something like that, where is we need to, we need to not be competing at that level let's create a comp, you know, where we use the markets to create innovation and implementation and services based on that rather than again, our underlying infrastructure that allows for us to do all these great things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a, it's a rethinking, I think of a utility and, and we kind of have that with, uh, you know, with foundations that are the underpinning of the internet too, that are essentially utilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really a, a useful concept is to rethink what are those, what are those knowledge utilities that we want to co-create, uh, that enable this, these, you know, where we can have a, a productive, where we can use very carefully the power of, uh, you know, the market incentives. Um, but again, very setting, setting those boundaries so that, uh, it, 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 doesn't create capture, right? I, I think I like the profit from production rather than protection, right? So it's, we're not incenting lots of legal sort of protection of IP, but actually creating incentives to create more sharing and innovation rather than less. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so there's some interesting, and, and that's where I'd love to, I, I'm excited to actually have some of those conversations with you and others later this year about rethinking you know, yeah, and I think you're a little bit, uh, you know, regen in terms of environmental data sharing and traceability and attribution and, and you know, and provenance. But I think that can also apply to as we rethink how we look at innovation and intellectual property and yeah. get beyond. Because what we're doing right now is we're still trying to adapt a legal system and patent-based system and IP system that was not designed for the kinds of things that we're developing now. No, it's and true. And, and, and that sort of attribution-based, the infrastructure for, for attribution. And value-added, you know, right. Exactly, exactly. For attribution to the value you're adding to a model, to a data set, to a tool. Exactly. To, to then enable allow you to then receive, you know, micropayments for every time that that tool is used by a huge community of and users. social recognition, all the other things that come yeah. along with it too. Or whatever it is, it could be social currency, it could be, it could be, you know, money, it could be reputation, it could be, there's sort of like different layers. We get, people get to experiment on that, but the fundamental building blocks of that, I think is exactly what we're working on right now. Yeah, and it's and I think that's fascinating that you know obviously you're deep in it with <laughs> within your own work, but just the that that the same underpinnings of what we're trying to do in the natural world and those in understanding and providing attribution to these invisible things also applies to our intellectual world, right? <laughs> it's the same, and and it's the thing, and to me, it's the antidote to 
like the meme warfare on social media and stuff. Because oh yeah. If you have the ability to understand the provenance of up this powerful meme that's coming coming charging your way and you understand that it was fabricated you know for it's it's you can create transparency well, in the right it, places so that exactly yeah to, to all generate. the fake news issues as well i mean it go it it transit it, it it's it's getting at so much of the or <laughs> the sort of the unintended consequences of this you know of this knowledge ecosystem that we're we're or this is that we're in the midst of right now and that's why i've been so adamant that we do the hard work first um even though it's oh yeah antithetical to the sort of like lean startup, just, you know, build this little piece and sell it to somebody. It's like, well, no, something about that methodology is what created the problem. So how do we, how do we take what's good about that? Which is like yeah. testing everything and, you and know, being organized and doing short cycles and doing exactly good design. Good things, yeah. How do you take all those good things, but also be really rigorous with, you know, we're designing for a complex system here and there are these sort of like first principles that need to be met. And one of those is like, you know, the integrity, pr pr provenance and, you know, durability of uh, like who said what, when, about what. It right. being just like foundational. Like yeah. that can't get lost. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I get super excited about that. Well, and it's it's actually interesting because some of the things that uh, you know, we haven't really gotten di dived in, in, in dove into the the tech side of it, but mm. so some of the tech I get most excited about goes back to some of the sort of early architectural sort of choices in internet uh, in the internet and looking at sort of the sort of the cabal or beaker browser distributed network tools for peer to peer communication. Uh, which sounds so again kind of this cliche conversation, but you know what I loved is working with that community and putting a sensor in the field that is using the same distributed communication to archive it and sort of uh, sort of server uh, you know the, the server uh, um, architect you know this uh, um, architecture that is uh, both a, uh, a you know uh, a server and a browser at the same time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's and that it's we're using it to communicate peer to peer for humans, and it's also the same tools that are providing environmental feedback. The same data is following the same pathway. So our conversation, like a farmer to farmer conversation, is following the same pathway as a moisture sensor or a temperature sensor. And to me, there's just something really beautiful and elegant and exciting about that. That mm -hmm. we're we're allowing that that same pathway. Uh, and allow uh, allowing essentially a natural system to communicate. They're already it's already communicating. We're just trying to create this interpretation layer so we can understand it. <laughs> but it's the that to me is is kind of this. I think I've I've played I've been written a little bit about uh, the the idea of that we have this sort of uh, silicon carbon interface that we're building. Yeah. Right, that we're creating this layer of based on silicon to interpret the carbon-based world, um, and that, that interprets it. You know, creates these different you know either visualizations or ways in which we can human interpret what's actually going on and all that complexity. Um, so I, that's a little bit of a side, but it it, it it's it's 
something that I don't have it right now in the way open team is going. We don't get to go too far into that edge tech, but it's also, I think we can't ignore it. Just like you were saying, I think where I'm coming back to is where you're saying is, you know, we can't ignore some of that fundamental, that really basic architecture for too long. We also have to be continually working uh, on those, those, I think you use the term sort of order one errors. Like we have to, we, we can sort of work around it for a little bit, but we also have to be going back to some of that basic architecture and getting that right because those, that architecture is a reflection of, again, our understanding and has social values and all sorts of other things embedded in it that if we don't address it, it's, you know, it, maybe it will be get addressed in another generation or, <laughs> or two, uh, but we have an opportunity to, to keep that, keep that progress, keep that uh, the progress moving. Yeah, it's cool. I hadn't checked out Beaker Browser. That seems like a fun project. Oh, Beaker and Cabal. Yeah, they're, they're super exciting architectures uh, that, again, address many of our our issues yeah it's interesting i mean it's sort of it's in, it's sort of like um uh yeah i don't know i don't know cabal but there's also there's there's a lot of experimentation in the space there's a like secure scuttlebutt which um yeah well scuttlebutt's very it's a related project yeah totally exactly but that, there's another example like yeah. Uh, and so, and so that's a great example. So we have this transition. We're using. I mean, I personally use a lot of Google Suite because yep. Me too. It actually and, uh, has a lot of the collaborative social values that I do embrace. Uh, and let's also be looking at what's next that doesn't have where we're not compromising. But how do we use sort of the benefits? How do we recreate the world we want to live in from within it? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the. That's the name of the game right now is, uh, you know, just being pragmatic and, and firm at the same time with, yeah. you know, what we need to be doing to regenerate the planet, regenerate ourselves, um, not, not run away from technology, but, but be responsible with how we yeah. design with it and reinvent it. Mm. Yep. And, and I, I say, I mean, maybe this is a little bit too cute, but I was like, can, can, can we get to regeneration in a generation, right? Are we, can we, <laughs> we have a moment here. We have uh, a moment. There's a moment in time, that I think, that things feel like they're sort of lined up for this, you know, to shoot the, shoot the rapids. <laughs> yeah. And make it happen or, or maybe kind of not. And, you know, if, if it doesn't happen, you know, I'm but, not a big doom, but what we can say, a big doom guy, but it doesn't look great. Yeah, but what, what, what we can say is, like, what's the alternative? We, we have a group of people that we are really engaged and are, uh, you know, how else would – I can't think of another way that I'd like to spend my time. Well, like, that's the thing is that that's – for me, I'm never motivated by, like, the doom urgency narrative, although it may be true. But it's like, what else are you going to spend your time on? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and the, all the juicy fun the, stuff the, right here. That the conversation continues to get bigger. And so, I mean, I think one of the challenges that we're going to have is, is, is actually in sort of a, a limited resources is actually in 
is in envisioning the next stage and and how do we scale to if if it it has the kind of in, wider spread interest what does that look like what is it actually how does that actually translate to lar much larger participation uh in these processes uh what does that look like in government what does that look like in you know in in and legal structures, financial structures, like all of those ripple effects that will need to be put in place that requires a huge amount of new thinking and innovation uh, and right and action on the ground in terms of landscape transformation. And, and so that's something we actually hadn't talked about because I sort of, sort of went sort of very quickly over this bridge between rural and and urban enterprises, but we also have this huge structural displacement of like, what are people doing through this large scale automation that's also happening? Yeah. And, and this cultural crisis of what's meaningful work. Yeah. Uh, and so th this is where we have this, uh, you know, landscape transformation is, and connections to rural and urban environments and the values created is a way to culturally connect and also create essentially an unlimited number of, uh, of of you know meaning uh, amount of meaningful work that people can do that's essentially infinitely creative uh, with <laughs> with as much work as you want to put into it uh, you know so I think there, there's not a there's not particularly a limited supply at this point of degraded land on earth <laughs> and even if we regenerate it the the whole life is a constant in a constant regenerative process right well this is the permanence thing is that creatively with optimizing biosphere health and photosynthetic optimization and what is the upper this is the thing about health what's the upper limit there it's is not none. there is not so all we can do is continue so this is what we want in in this again this kind of market the new growth economy it's it's like what are you growing we're you know we're we're using human creativity to grow life itself. Yep, and and this is where I think I you know where uh, the regenerative economy is at odds with sort of the you know the uh, growth. Yeah, limits to growth yeah. concepts yeah. that it's not a limited. You know, when we're talking about an extractive economy, yes, that's true. We have this plimsoll line, this the maximum carrying capacity, but we know and we can test this in small scales and managed you know, ecosystems that the carrying capacity can increase with management. We don't know what those upper limits are. What an exciting thing to collaborate on, right? Yeah. And to bring more people so that what is, what's the, you know, instead of saying what's the, how do we drive down labor costs? How do we support more people in a healthy environment on the landscape? That's an exciting question. And what, how do you, like, like I could just sort of imagine what if the, instead of the Olympics or whatever, is like the peak of our global, collective, excited honoring of human potential. It was, you know, sort of like celebrating people who've pushed the threshold of a bioregion to, you know, be more biodiverse and more healthy and have deeper right. soil carbon where they're just like, wow, look at what just happened well, over there. And it's not just the people doing it, but yeah. the, here's the, the collaborative piece is that there's a role for not just, this is where I often sort of push back on sort of the, sort of the, the, the hero sort of narrative around the individual uh, farmer and 
because so much of that is also built through this collaborative effort and the people who are monitoring and helping to communicate that are also part of the team and that that's making that's being able to tell that story and i think it's really important to that's why i'm thinking it's probably more ag- a place it's like a more a celebration of place and every exactly. yeah, everyone it's a team celebration yeah look at what you achieved together yeah. uh, and you documented it beautifully and we all appreciate because not only did you you know you implemented these practices but you documented and then they were replicated globally uh, and 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 because you documented them, you know, and so it's the 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 person who implemented it, the person who documented, the person who communicated, the person who who traveled and exchanged, and like all of that together is what makes that that process, you know, replicable and adaptable and and so forth. And so I think celebrating that is is one of our our great you know our, our potentials. Um, and, and of course, building the system to reward the actual, the, the measurable outcome as well. But so, cause you have the social outcome, you have the ecological outcome, and then you reward it with some economic <laughs> incentives as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, I could keep talking all day. I know, this is uh, super fun. It's been long overdue. <laughs> yeah, it's been long overdue and let's do it again soon. Um, Let's do it again soon. I was actually chatting with, uh, I was just chatting with Amanda Ravenhill. I chatted, I did this with her not too long ago. And, and I was sort of thinking there's a few people that I would just love to kind of like do regular, like regular updates or regular conversation, or maybe have round tables where there's a couple of us talking about different yeah. things and how, yeah, just how fun that would be. So I'd love to have you back soon. Absolutely. Yeah. The old, the, the, I, I'm all for it. Like we, I, I think one of the things that we're craving, and this is maybe a, is sort of that salon culture where we, it's fun to share and dive deep. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're doing this remotely and we can, and that's, you know, wonderful too, but that's what's so fun about where we are able to connect in person as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, in person, there's nothing like in person. Um, although I have to say with the coronavirus stuff, I, I, I know it's... I've been, I'm actually sort of like relieved at the, the pressure release on the social expectation to be places. I feel yeah. an enormous relief about that actually, um, which is interesting. It it is interesting finding, I think we're all, again, collectively finding that balance between how much, because we are able to travel so easily, so quickly, so far away. And now we have these tools that are much better designed for really, you know, good social interactions. I mean, um, it is, it's remarkable how we can have these global conversations in almost in person. (laughs) Almost. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And I think it'll just get better. So that's, you know, maybe an underpinning of, of the Yeah, I think we're, well, it's one of the things we said with Open Team is we're gonna have to get really good at it. And, uh, and the, the, there are different tools and techniques that we can use to, to make the remote participation really meaningful and, and, and create the kinds of connections that, that are, are necessary. Um, but where we don't all have to get on planes. Yep. Definitely. Well, I've sort of centered the podcast around the concept that I'm going to do all of my podcasting remotely, just as like, yeah, 
the genre of the day, even though I love in-person conversations. Um, so we'll sort of, sort of, we're getting to see that as an experiment of, can there be dialogues that feel meaningful for both, you know, you and I, for instance, and other people to listen yeah. via this remote and then, you know, sort of archived and available. Uh, yeah. Well, and there are often things that we can do remotely uh, that are better than in person. I mean, I was talking to um, Heather Darby at UVM about doing virtual reality crop field days where you can time it to get exactly the moment that you might be making a decision. Uh, and that's very almost impossible to get people around and organized and travel and all the logistics to get there and get the full experience. So there are ways in which we can use these new tools that we have at our fingertips. Actually, in, there's an example of where we can in, do better than in person. Totally. <laughs> Not yeah. all of it, but that, that's, you know, there's wow. some of that intangible that we'll never replace, but there are instances where we're, we are going to get better at, at doing this, <laughs> uh, where it's even better than in person. So. Yeah which is kind of odd to say, but. No, but it's true. I think in, in certain circumstances. Um, well, Dorn, thank you so much for, for your time and for all of your great work in the world and your phenomenal leadership, bringing together a big group of people to work in an open way to, you know, bring technology to bear to serve the betterment of our landscapes and farms and farmers it's really <laughs> well li likewise it's a, it's definitely like any group effort you it's you know it really is a team effort that it's kind of i chuckle every time i say open team because it's one of those few instances where we got the acronym like basically right <laughs> nailed the name <laughs> nice so great All right